Well, good morning, church. So good uh, to be with you here today and to see that you all survived the four seasons of Iowa weather uh, that we experienced within a 24-hour period. Uh, This week, you know, uh, the old joke goes that if you don't like the weather in Iowa, just wait, it will change. We literally saw that happen uh, this Wednesday. Even I actually on Wednesday uh, traveled up to Mayo Clinic for a couple of appointments and uh, we, we literally experienced the snow, a heat wave, hurricane force winds, I think a few other weather events there. But uh, thankfully, the important thing is that we survived and you survived too. And we have the opportunity uh, to worship together here today, right? What a great privilege that is. And um, as we, we get uh, ready to dig into God's Word, I, I just want to highlight uh, for you our schedule here for this uh, Christmas week. So Friday evening, we're going to gather uh, to celebrate Christmas Eve together. Uh, we have uh, five services this year, uh, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock at uh, Burlington, 4 o'clock at Fort Madison and Danville. And we'll also have a four o'clock online service for those of you uh, who will be out of town. Uh, And then uh, two days later, uh, next Sunday, we will gather again for our regular uh, weekly worship services. They will be at the regular time, 8.30, 10.30, Burlington, 10 o'clock, Danville and online, and then 10.30 at Fort Madison. And so uh, next weekend is going to be really, really full for us, uh, but it's also going to be a great opportunity uh, to celebrate and to worship Jesus Christ as our church family. And I just want to remind you, encourage you, that's what Christmas is about, right? Christmas is about worshiping and celebrating uh, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. There's no Christmas. So uh, let's make sure that we, we celebrate and we worship Him big time together as a church next weekend. Uh, now, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me once again to Titus chapter 2. And uh, while you're getting there, uh, I want to rejoice in what God did at Harmony uh, last weekend. God did at least uh, two uh, big things in our church. I'm sure more than that, but but two big things uh, last time that we gathered. One, uh, we had our largest uh, post-pandemic, non-Easter, in-person attendance. Now, that's a, that's a big mouthful there, right? All right, but, but here's what it means. Uh, it means that after new, nearly two years, uh, God has brought us back to the place where we were before the pandemic began. And, and I know that you might not think that that's a really big deal, but I just want to tell you that's a really, really big deal, uh, at least for me, because I know that over the last two years, uh, given my weak faith, there have been many, many times where I've wondered, are we ever really going to get back to the place that we were before all of this stuff happened? And I'm so happy to be able to say that not only are we back to where uh, we were before this happened, uh, but we all also are continuing to grow. We also are seeing our opportunity to reach more and more people, continue to expand. And, and so not only are we back to where we were before, but there's every indication that bigger and better days are ahead. And can, can we just kind of celebrate that here? I'm going to thank the Lord uh, for that. More significantly, though, uh, last Sunday we baptized uh, six people at our Danville campus, uh, with each of those baptisms signifying a really, really powerful story uh, of discipleship. And so if you weren't able to uh, partake in that or you haven't watched those yet, I just want to encourage you uh, sometime today uh, after this message to go to our YouTube page uh, and to watch those baptisms. Uh, You will be really, really glad that you did. You'll be really, really encouraged over what God is doing. Now, I want to point out that while last week's baptism took place in Danville, we're making disciples in Burlington and Fort Madison, too. 
Uh, what happened last Sunday in Danville uh, is happening at all three of our campuses on a regular basis. We have a lot to celebrate in regards to that. And, and here's the thing, it's even happening way beyond our, our campuses. In fact, uh, as just one example, uh, I had a man come up to me after one of our services last week, and he just shared with me how he was recently able to baptize a couple of his grandchildren in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, that's a long way to go for baptisms. You really don't have to do that, okay? Uh, but isn't it wonderful to, to hear about a grandpa who has a real passion to disciple his grandchildren? Isn't that exciting too? And there are all kinds of things like that that are happening. And so we have so much to, to rejoice in and to be thankful for. Now, let me tell you why I'm highlighting all of this. I'm doing so uh, because here at Harmony Bible Church, we take seriously uh, the final command that Jesus gave us before he ascended back to heaven. Before he did so, Jesus told us that we are to be about one primary thing, and that is discipleship. We are to be his disciples, and we are to do so by making disciples. And since here at Harmony Bible Church, we love Jesus. We do love Jesus, right? and we want to please him more than anything, we're laser focused on this one thing, making disciples of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in our series here in Titus, we're learning that there are two broad categories or what I might call areas of discipleship, doctrine and devotion. Paul shows us this very clearly uh, in chapter 2 of Titus. In verses 2 through 10, he addresses devotion. And in verses 11 through 14, he talks about doctrine. And we looked at the doctrine part last week. And so this morning, we're going to look at the devotion part. And as we do so, let me highlight three things about our text. First, in verses 2 through 10, there's a message about devotion for everyone. Paul systematically talks to older men and then older women Younger women and then younger men. This means, get this, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, our text has something very specific to say to you about what devotion should look like in your specific area or specific time in life. Second, Paul makes it clear that mission is the purpose of devotion. Mission is the purpose of devotion. Now, uh, when I say mission... I'm referring broadly to discipleship, but specifically to our responsibility to spread the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. Paul emphasizes this three times in our text, most notably in verse 10, where he tells bond servants, what today we would call employees, to work for their employers in such a way that they adorn the gospel. That word adorn is literally ornament. Ornament, which is interesting given the time of year we are in, right? Just like you, you take an ornament and you put it in your Christmas tree to make it attractive and draw attention to it, Paul tells us that, that we are to make the gospel attractive so that unbelievers will be attracted to it. Y'all tracking with me here? All right, we are supposed to be an ornament for the gospel, which means our lives are supposed to attract people to the gospel so that they might find it beautiful and they might believe it like we believe it. Now, the gospel is beautiful in and of itself, right? It's the most beautiful, most wonderful, most glorious thing in the world. But Paul's point is, is that our lives are, are supposed to, to, to be lived out in such a way that, that when people see us, they see the power of the gospel so that they want that power, they want that experience too. So here's a big question that we all need to wrestle with today. 
am I living in such a way that when people look at me, when they interact with me, when they think of me, they are drawn, they are attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Am I being an ornament of the gospel? Third, the motivation for devotion is grace. Why should we be devoted to Jesus? We should be devoted to Jesus because it's through him that God has shown us grace. It's through his life, death, and resurrection that we've been redeemed from the penalty of sin, that we've been cleansed from the stain of sin, and that we've been made God's children. Children who've received all the blessings, all these blessings, so that we might be devoted to good works. So we're going to talk today about lots of kinds of things that we should be devoted to as God's children. All of us are going to hopefully leave today with things that we need to work on. However, as we consider these things and perhaps even experience some significant conviction, we must keep in mind that we shouldn't be devoted to God so that he will love and accept us, but because he already does. It's really, really key that that you get this because I'm going to get on you a little bit today. I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to push you. But, But you need to recognize, you always need to remember that I'm not encouraging you to pursue these things in hopes that God will then love you and accept you and save you. I'm pushing you to do these things because he already has. So, so this was the entire message last week. Are you with me, by the way? Because if you're not with me, I'll go back and preach that entire message I preached last week. <laughs> Don't tempt me because I'll do it. Seriously, though. Seriously, though. As we go today, so, so when you leave... Hopefully you're going to leave and say, you know, that, that's something that I really need to focus on in the days ahead. But you will leave not feeling like you have to in order for God to be pleased with you. But because you're overwhelmed with the fact that he already is, and therefore you just want to go out of appreciation for what he's done for you to live in a way that is in line with what you already are and what you already have. Now that said... I want to briefly look at what Paul says devotion should look like for every uh, demographic in the church. Since we don't have time to look at everything in the text, however, I'm just going to give a summary for each group. And as I give this summary, I I want you to keep in mind two things, all right? Uh, First of all, uh, you need to keep in mind that there are probably going to be things that uh, make you a little bit uncomfortable at a time or two, all right? There are a number, probably at least three, maybe four landmines in this text that, that could serve, uh, I could really do entire messages on, and at times in the past I have. And so if there's something that maybe rubs you the wrong way or you have a concern, don't just sit on that concern, bring that concern to, to an elder, to an elder's wife, to one of our staff members, to our pastors, email me. We will be happy to talk with you about it. There are a number of controversial things in our text today. And so what do we do with controversy? We, we wrestle with those, we talk with those, we try to um, move through those things together in love. Second, don't check out when we're not talking about the demographic that you fall into at this current place in your life. You need to pay attention to everything. Here's why. We are a family. So what affects one part of the family affects the rest of the family. You all with me in here? We know how this plays out, right, in our own families. And so you need to understand 
what God's word says to everybody else in your family, how they are supposed to, to live, what God wants them to pursue, so you can pray for, encourage, and help to keep them accountable. Because we are all in this together. We're all in this together. Now, with that said, let's begin by looking at what Paul says to older men. Older men. And we can summarize what devotion looks like for older men with the words godly character. Godly character as expressed by things like sober-mindedness, dignity, self-control, and especially faith, love, and steadfastness. The word dignified in verse 2 is especially helpful in understanding what it means to be a man of godly character. The word means worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. Older men are to have such godly character that they're looked up to by everyone in the church. I want you older men to listen to me really carefully here. I would guess that you all want to be looked up to. You all want to be respected. However, the kind of respect you should desire shouldn't primarily be because of your business acumen or your financial success or because you're a man's kind of man. Instead, the kind of respect you should aim for is the respect that comes from being a man of godly character. I want to go further here, men, and point out that if your godly character is truly going to be seen and have its intended effect, then you have to be involved in other people's lives. If they are going to treat you as worthy of respect, then you need to be in a relationship with with them where they can actually see the kind of character that you have. They need to see your faith, your love, your steadfastness. So what I'm talking about is being a man who's both devoted to Jesus and devoted to pouring into others so that they become devoted to him too. Can I just say this, all right? We, we do have, uh, thankfully, a lot of older men at Harmony Bible Church are devoted to Jesus. What we tend to have a lot less of, though, are older men who are also devoted to pouring into others so that they can be just as devoted to Jesus. So, so we've got a lot, of, a lot of older men, yeah, we're devoted to Jesus, we love Jesus, we, we love his word, but, but what we need is we need older men who are devoted to Jesus to be willing to pour into others, specifically into younger men, so that they become devoted to him as well. You know, a sad reality is that most men live the entire of their lives without an older, more spiritually mature man pouring into them. And I know this was true for, for you older men. And you, should, you might say, well, I didn't have any pour into me. So those younger guys, they'll be okay on their own. And I just want to tell you, we've got to stop this cycle. We've just got to stop it. And we older men, I'll put myself in that. I'm going to put myself in both categories this morning, all right? <laughs> But, but, but we have to take our devotion to Jesus and recognize that that devotion includes helping others, especially other younger men, be devoted to him as well. So older men, I want to challenge you today to step into God's calling on your life. Can I just say this to you? If you are an older man who is a follower of Jesus, his calling on your life is to pour into others, especially younger men, so that they'll become devoted to him as well. Older men, let's not get caught up in the things that have no eternal value. 
Let's not just simply coast into retirement. Let's not be cynical. Let's not be apathetic. Let's not be ambivalent. Instead, you know what we need to be like or who we need to be like? We need to be like Joshua's old friend, Caleb. Do you remember Caleb? Let me remind you about Caleb. Caleb and Joshua are part of the group of spies that were sent in to spy out the promised land. And 10 of those guys came back and said, there's no way, we can't do it, trembling in their boots. And there were two of them, most notably Caleb, who came back and said, let's go get them. They see these big giants in the land, they say, no problem, we got them. Now at that point, Caleb in particular, he's 45 years old, middle-aged. And he didn't get to go in the promised land because he was with a bunch of pansies. So he had to wait 40 years. The other guys didn't get to go in at all, but Caleb got another shot. Moses is gone at this point. Joshua is now in charge. So when he's 85 years old, they're about ready to go into the promised land. Caleb says to Joshua, you know what, Joshua, I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. So that mountain over there, I want that mountain. Give me that mountain, and by God's strength, I'm going to drive them out. So that's the kind of older men that we need. Men who are courageous, men who are faithful, men who are steadfast, men who say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to take anybody who wants to follow him along with me. And when they put us in the grave, they can say, that guy died with his boots on. That's the kind of older men that we need. Now, we need to move on to older women, or this is going to be the longest sermon ever. So let's do so. And let me just say that whenever you use the words older and women together, you're always in dangerous territory, all right? (laughs) So ladies, I will allow you to discern whether you fit into this category. But there are two things I want to highlight regarding what Paul says to older women. First, note in verse 3 that Paul uses the word likewise, meaning that just like for older men, devotion for older women is to be seen through the pursuit of godly character. Paul uses different words to describe what this looks like for older women, uh, reverent in behavior, for example. But in essence, he's saying much the same thing to older women as he did to older men. Two, though, older women have the specific responsibility to teach and train younger women. Paul makes what's implicit for older men explicit for younger women. Let me explain why he does so. Uh, In the first century, it would have been generally expected that older men would teach younger men. It would have just been assumed that that was going to happen in the church. However, the education of women by men or by women was a low priority if it was a priority at all. And so in the church, there, there wouldn't have been an expectation that a woman would learn, let alone teach. And yet Paul is saying, no, no, women are to, to be taught. They are to, to learn, and then they are also to teach. Women are to have a teaching role in the church. So, so you know, uh, the Apostle Paul is sometimes accused of being misogynistic, and yet we, we can see here in the passage that that is patently false. Here in Titus, as in other places, Paul elevates women. He tells Titus, you need to teach the older women so they can partner with the male elders in teaching the younger women. This is one of the places where we can see how God's designed his church to function. Male elders are to serve as the primary leaders in the church, exercising authority over and teaching both men and women, and then older, mature women 
are in turn to give more in-depth teaching and training to younger women. Now, I know that this isn't popular uh, today. I know there are a lot of people who would push back on this, but this is what the Bible says. We can attempt to do all kinds of textual and cultural gymnastics to make it say something else, but if we do so, we are just simply undermining the authority of God's Word. What's more, when men and women partner together as God directs, it brings tremendous blessings to the church. When male elders faithfully, humbly, and sacrificially exercise their God-given authority and teach the Bible, and then mature women come alongside them and pour into other women, everyone is built up in the church, i.e. everyone is discipled, and as God says in Ephesians, or Paul says in Ephesians 4, the body grows as it builds itself up in love. So, before we move on, I want to encourage the women in our church who are discipling other women. Age aside, we have lots of spiritually mature women who are just honestly killing it when it comes to discipleship. Through ministries like community groups, uh, discipleship groups, mom, celebrate recovery, and lots of other uh, informal ministry. You, you ladies, I just have to tell you, you, you're knocking it out of the park. And you need to hear today that your elders are incredibly thankful for you, that, that we, we are incredibly blessed to be able to partner with you in, in making disciples, and we just want to encourage you to do that all the more. Now, let's talk about what devotion looks like for younger women. Younger women, and as we do, uh, I want to make sure we understand that Paul's not leaving out single women. It might look like that uh, since he tells older women to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. However, because of a range of formal marriages, in those days it was pretty rare for a young woman not to be married. In fact, it's likely that in the churches of Crete, the only single women uh, would have been uh, widows, probably widows in many cases with children. Regardless, though, note that Paul tells older women to teach the younger women what is good, and this applies whether a woman is married or not. So, single ladies, for you, devotion to Jesus means learning and then giving yourself to what's good. I know that's kind of broad, and Paul does give some specifics in the passage, most notably about self-control, about purity and kindness. The big point, young women, whether you are married or not, devote yourself to a life that's defined by the pursuit of good works. And by the way, I want to say that we have lots of young single women um, and older single women who are passionate about pursuing good works, and we're really thankful for you as well. Now, if you're a younger woman who is married, though, note that good works are to be carried out first and foremost in the context of your relationships with your husband and children. Let's consider a couple of things that Paul says regarding these relationships in verse 5. The first is the phrase, uh, working at home. Let me tell you what this does and doesn't mean. Uh, it doesn't mean that a married woman can't work outside the home. That will be in contradiction with other parts of the Bible, most notably Proverbs uh, 31. What's more, 
in the first century, there wasn't a debate about what we would call a career woman. So, so one of the things that we've got to be careful of when we come to passages like this is importing 21st century debates into a first century text. You know what I'm talking about here? All right, so, so there was not a debate in the churches of Crete as to whether or not a, a woman could have a career. So, so Paul's not addressing that issue. Instead, when he says that they should be working at home, he's saying that a wife and a mother should make loving on and caring for her husband and her children a priority. It simply reinforces what Paul says earlier in verse 4 when he tells the older woman to train the younger woman to love younger women to love their husbands and children. So let me try to be really clear what Paul is and isn't saying. He isn't saying a woman can't have a career, but he is saying for a wife and mother, her family is to be a priority. Maybe it will be helpful to put it in this way. Wives and mothers, your primary context for living out your devotion to Jesus is in your home. It's in loving on and caring for your husband and children. And wife and mothers, I want to encourage you that this is where you can have the greatest gospel impact. Now, now this might be a controversial uh, comment, or it might not be, but I will stand on it till, till, till the day is over, all right? The greatest gospel impact that a wife and mother can have is in her relationship with her husband and her children. Why is that the case? Well, marriage is meant to illustrate what? Marriage is meant to illustrate the gospel. So, so the, the more that a wife pours into her marriage, loves on and cares for her husband, the greater the gospel is going to be displayed. Uh, what's more, who has more influence on a child, especially when they are young, than their mother? I don't know if you realize this or not, but most of us become the people that we are largely because of the influence that we have before we even go to school. Who we are is hugely impacted before we go to school, and who has the greatest opportunity to have an influence and an impact on that? It is the mom. It is the mother. And so I know that today caring for your kids is often looked down upon but I want to tell you, moms, whether there will be nothing more difficult than this, there's probably also nothing that can have a greatest, greater gospel impact than this. If you study, by the way, the men and women who had the greatest gospel impact in history, you will find that behind almost all of them was a godly, invested mother. So there's that. As if that wasn't a landmine, a big enough landmine, here's the other one. Let's talk about submission. My favorite topic to talk about. But you know what? I have to talk about it. You know why I have to talk about it? Because the Bible talks about it all the time. Unfortunately, however, there's lots of misunderstanding and misconceptions about it. And so let me just briefly talk about what submission does and doesn't mean. So it doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean never having input and just going along with whatever a husband says. And it certainly doesn't mean putting up with any kind of abuse. Not at all. Instead, submission means using your gifts to support the leadership of the person or the authority, the person God has placed in authority over you. Let me, let me repeat that since I just messed it up. Submission means 
using your gifts to support the leadership of the person God has placed in authority over you. So really important for us to understand this definition. It means, okay, using your gifts to support the leadership of the person God has placed in authority over you. Now, what's key here is understanding that we are all under authority, and therefore we are all called to submit. Don't miss that in our passage, Paul goes on to tell employees to be submissive to their employers. And then in chapter 3, he tells everyone to be submissive to government authorities. We'll save that one for next week, okay? (laughs) Enough for today. But we need to understand that, that it's not just wives who are called to be submissive. Every single one of us is called to be submissive. And what's more, anytime we study a passage like this, or we talk about submission in marriage, we always need to go to Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul very clearly tells husbands that they need to submit to God in loving and leading their wives as Christ has loved and led the church. And so, do wives, or wives called to submit to their husbands? Yes. But are husbands called to submit to God in sacrificially serving and laying down their lives in order to lead their wives? Absolutely, yes. And these two things must go together. In fact, I think we can clearly see that the primary, the first call in the Scripture is for a husband to submit to lovingly, sacrificially, gently, kindly Leading, loving, sacrificing for his wife. Now, all that said, Mary woman, please hear this. You have a real gospel opportunity in your relationship with your husband. Here's the deal. We have to stop thinking of ourselves with any other identity than as an identity as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. That has to be our primary identity. So, so it's not about our career, our job. It's actually not even a, about a parent, okay? It's rather about I am a child of God and how do I live out that relationship in my relationship with the other people that he has placed in my life? And so, Mary, women, please hear this. You have a real gospel opportunity in your relationship with your husband. That's actually Paul's point at the end of verse 5. He says, wives, submit to your husband so the word of God may not be reviled. To put it positively, wives, when you humbly submit to your husband, you give a great picture of how Jesus humbly submitted to the Father and coming to this earth and dying on a cross for our sin. Do you know that even Jesus was called to submission? And aren't you thankful that he submitted? Because he did, we are here today. Because he did, we have eternal life. Because he did, we are God's children. And now he calls us to submit to the authorities that he has placed in our lives. And as we do so, we adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it's taken a while, but let's finally get to younger men. Younger men. At first glance, it seems like Paul has only one thing to say in verse 6 to young men. Seems like he's just telling them to be self-controlled. Now, this might be a little perplexing and perhaps seem even sexist until you understand two things. First of all, self-control pretty much sums up the entirety of a young man's struggle. 
right? Whether it be with impatience or impetuousness or anger or purity, if a young man can be self-controlled, he's, he's doing well. He's doing well. Self-control is the primary thing that young men struggle with. But two, we need to see what Paul says to Titus in verses 7 through 8. He's also saying to younger men, Titus was a young man himself, and Paul wants him to be a model for the other young men in the church. He, he literally says, set them an example. Show that, Titus, you're a young man, so set the other young men an example, an example of integrity, dignity, and sound speech. In other words, he wants Titus to be a model for the young men of godly character. But by the way, are you getting how important it is for a Christian to be a person of godly character. That's Paul pretty much, you can sum everything that he says up here. He says, whether you're old or young, man or woman, be someone who has godly character. Being devoted to Jesus then means developing his character. With that said, let me speak directly to you young men. Whether you're eight or 48 or somewhere in between young men, you need to grow up now, not sometime in the future. Don't wait to grow up then. Begin to grow up right now, like right today. By the way, I use 48 there because at least for another 13 hours, that's how old I am, all right? I won't be able to use that number next week. But regardless of how young or really even how old you are, man, we, we've got to stop giving in to being spiritually lazy, and we've got to start getting serious about following Jesus today. And let me be clear that I'm not trying to guilt or shame you. There's no need to do that because Jesus took your guilt and shame on the cross. So, so there's no, you just need to do better here. There's a fine line I'm trying to walk in this message, but I don't want you to hear that you just need to leave and you need to do better. It's not about doing better. It's about being so overwhelmed regarding what Jesus has done for you, that you just want to live a life that is dedicated, devoted to him. So, young man, I want you to consider Titus for a second. As I just mentioned, Titus was a young man. So he's a young man when he received this letter, and he had been traveling and ministering with Paul for, for, for years maybe even a decade or more, which means that he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ likely as a teenager, 16, 17, 18 years of age. And the moment that Titus came to faith in Jesus Christ, he was, all, he was just all in from the beginning. He began to, to, to travel with Paul. He began to preach with Paul. He began to, to plant churches with Paul. He gave up his entire life, and he says, I'm just going to go wherever God leads me. I'm going to do whatever he calls me to do, and my life is going to be all in for the gospel. Pretty much what Paul is telling Titus here, we can see throughout the rest of the New Testament that that was true of Titus almost from the day that he became a follower of Jesus. And so what's the point? Well, here's what I want you to think about, young men. Don't you want to have the same experience that Titus had? Don't you want to be a young man who makes an incredible gospel impact? I mean, think about this. Titus is maybe in his late 20s, early 30s, and Paul thinks enough about him. He says, I'm out of here. You got all these new disciples. Why don't you go plant a bunch of churches? 
And by the way, no email, no text messages. This letter would have taken months to get to him. He's there on his own, and yet he's mature enough, he's godly enough, he's passionate enough, he has enough integrity that Paul says, you got this, buddy. You got this, buddy. And I just want you to think, young men, about the experience that Titus has had the last 2,000 years after person after person after person has showed up in heaven and said, hey, you're that Titus guy? Thanks for being devoted to Jesus. Thanks because of you. You know what? There was a church planted in Crete, and in that church, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Hey, by the way, thank you for uh, traveling with Paul and supporting him and being a guy who prayed for him because, you know, uh, God used the Apostle Paul to, to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, thank you, Titus, so much that, that you were so faithful that, that Paul wrote this letter because it was this letter that I came through this letter that I came to saving faith that I first truly understood the gospel. Hey, thank you, Titus for your faithfulness because this letter that I grew in my faith and this Pastor Chris Carr preached the message one day and I got really serious and devoted to Jesus. Young men, don't you want to have that experience? Don't you want that to be your eternity, your future? You know, man, I want you to think about this. Ten years from now, don't you want to make the decision today that's going to lead you ten years from now to be thankful that you were devoted to Jesus back then? You know, One of my biggest regrets in my life is that I wasted my high school years. I can look back on Facebook and I can see those guys and some of those ladies that I went to high school with, and I can look back and I can see that they are not following Jesus, that they have, many of them honestly have probably just left the faith altogether. And I look back with regret because I had an opportunity and I didn't take the opportunity to be devoted to Jesus and adorn the doctrine so they would be attracted to him. Now, Jesus has taken the condemnation and the guilt for all of that, so I'm not condemned by that, but I do have regrets about that. So what I'm telling young men, really telling all of you, is make the choice today that you are going to give yourself to discipleship and doctrine and devotion so that 5, 10, 20 years from now, you'll look back and you say, that was a really good day, that was a really good decision, and you can rejoice in all that God has done for you over that time period. Now, let me tell you, I'm not saying, by the way, that you have to become a pastor, that you have to become a missionary, that you have to become a church planner. For most of you, God just wants you to stay where you are right now and to, in whatever you are doing, adorn the doctrine, make the gospel attractive so that people will be drawn to him, the gospel will go forward, people will be saved, the church will grow, and most of all, Jesus Christ will get the glory he deserves from your life. So I want to close out today with this. We're about ready, less than two weeks now, to enter into a new year. And so I want to encourage you here uh, as we close to, with me, make a New Year's resolution. Here's a New Year's resolution for Harmony Bible Church. The New Year's resolution is that in 2022, we are going to devote ourselves. We're going to give ourselves. We're going to focus on discipleship in doctrine and devotion. I'm serious. Listen, there's some of you right now, you just check it out. You're going, oh, oh, no big deal. I'll get, there's another message next week. All right, I'm just going to go on with Chris. Do not do this. Because here's the deal. Jesus could very well come back in 2022. You with me? And now, if you're like, well, maybe. And we got to have another conversation. Right? Because as we saw last week, that's what we're waiting on, Right? He is our blessed hope. He is what we are, we are longing for, we're dying for. We, we want Jesus to come back. 
And so it's very likely that he could come back in 2022. And so let's be people who are getting ready and who are living in such a way that when he does come back, we're going to have real confidence that he is going to be pleased with what we are doing and how we are living our lives for him. How do we do that? We do that by giving ourselves to discipleship and doctrine and devotion. So I don't know how this applies for you. Maybe this means that when 2022 begins that you're going to get into a community group. Maybe it means you're going to commit yourself to taking some equip you classes. Maybe it means you're going to start a Bible study or you're going to join a Bible study. Maybe it just means that you're going to decide that, hey, I need to grab a young guy, I need to grab a young girl, and I'm just going to pour into them. Or maybe you're a younger guy, younger girl, and you say, I need to find somebody to pour into me. There's all different application points for us today, but whatever it is, when you walk out and when you leave today, leave with determination that when the calendar turns to a new year, that 2022 is going to be all about discipleship and doctrine and devotion. And if you need help with that, talk to your campus pastor, talk to one of our staff members, talk to one of our elders, elders' wives, find somebody and say, I need help, and we will be glad to come alongside and to help you with it. This has been a great year. God has been, don't we have so much to be thankful for? Amen. He's been so, so good. I know the world is burning down around us, or maybe it feels like that. It's okay. Jesus has got it. He's good. He's faithful. And so while we wait for his return, let's give ourselves in devotion to him. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today.